0: Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, um, I need some people to name their children one of those names, (laughs) and the rest of our enemies, Nehemiah probably got tired of pronouncing their names, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat And Geshem sent to me saying, I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce either one of those names, saying, come and let us meet together at this place in the plain of Ono. In the King James, they actually try to translate that word. Um, But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers, messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you. Now I want to read a passage of Scripture from the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, or well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to share a message with you this morning I've entitled, I Cannot Come Down. I Cannot Come Down. This is October, folks, which means this is the 33rd year for Living Faith Church. 33 years we've been sitting on this hill. 33 years, 33 years of faithfulness, 33 years of God's goodness, 33 years of of a great work that God has been doing here. And church, I believe the best is yet to come. I believe that, that God is doing a lot of wonderful things to this church. LFC has impacted lots and lots of people over the years. We've had some crazy people come through this church. We've had some awesome people come through this church. We've got some stories to tell about this church. But God has been faithful. Can you testify how good God has been? Has your life been impacted by the ministry of Living Faith Church? We have a reason to celebrate this month, not only the fact that next week is pastor appreciation, and I'm planning on eating meatloaf, and I'm planning on eating ham, and I'm planning on eating chicken. And if there's any room on the plate for something else, I'll get it. Amen. So we've got one more year in the books of the history of Living Faith Church, and so when we get to a place like this, many times we ask the question, what do we do now? Okay, we've been here 33 years. We've been here, well, here we are. Where do we go from here? What does God want to do in us, and what does God want to do with us? But here's the thing. When we talk about the church, when we talk about what the church is doing, when we talk about what Living Faith is meant to do, we all understand that we are the church, right? You you do understand that, right? The the church is not just a building. The church is made up of folks. So we are the church. So that means we need to ask ourselves that same question or those same questions. We look at ourselves and say, listen, I am where I am in my spiritual walk and growth. This is where I am. I've gotten to this place. I'm in this church or wherever I may attend. I'm connected to these crazy people, right? Right? I mean, I've said many times before, if I'd have been God, I probably wouldn't have chosen some of you guys. But God did anyway, right? So whether you've been here for 33 years or whether you've just been here for the last 33 minutes, we need to ask ourselves, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? What does God want to do in me and what does God want to do with me? Because what is going on with us is what's going to go on with the church, And that's one of the things that we talked about when we were talking about I Am Revival, when we talk about being a difference maker, when when we talk about making an impact. The church is only going to make an impact if the folks in the church are making impacts. The church is only going to make a difference unless the people sitting in the pews are actually making a difference because the church, the building, the brick, it's not what draws people to the sanctuary, it's the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ flowing out of people to reach out to others and show that grace and mercy. That's what changes the world. But here's the challenge. After you've been in something for a long time, there's a temptation to take it for granted. How many of you will agree with that? After you have already been there and done that, it's hard to keep the excitement alive. I remember there was one year, I went to Kings Island three times. Three times in one summer. Now I like Kings Island, I like roller coasters. But by the time I'd been there the third time, I was asleep during the roller coasters. I've been here, I've done that. I've already went upside down that many times, okay? I know where it goes, I know where the turns are, I know where all the cameras are. I, I know where we're going. I don't want to go back, right? Because once you've been at some place, you it doesn't feel new to you anymore. And once it doesn't feel new to you, you develop a ho hum attitude. Yeah. Right. It's Sunday morning. Eh. Right. What do I do on Sundays? I go to church. Yeah. Right. Because I've been doing it every Sunday. I've been doing it every Sunday. Even my kids—they're only eight and five. All. Avery's like, what is today? Sunday. Okay. He knows where he's going. (laughs) Daddy, what's today? Wednesday. Oh, we're downstairs. He knows where he's going. Right? He knows where we're going to end up. But you get this ho-hum attitude. We find ourselves losing our passion, and what happens is we start going through the motions. We start going through the motions because I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've already seen this. It's not new. There's not that new feeling anymore. The excitement is hard to Work up. This even happens in marriages. After you've been around each other long enough, you're like, eh. I'm married. That's my husband. That's my wife. Eh. Right? I don't know what that noise is, but that's what you're doing. So what happens is, is we end up growing weary. We grow weary in well-doing. We grow weary in doing good. And for a matter of fact, a lot of people start sliding towards quitting. Or at least... Sliding towards sitting it out. Watching from the stands. Not being involved, but being a spectator. Watching what's happening. I've been there. I've done that. I've already done this. I've already been through this. I've already done this. And you know what? This is a dangerous attitude. It's a dangerous attitude in life. It's a dangerous attitude in our marriages. It's a dangerous attitude at work. I think Don shared the stat not too long ago. Most of us have heard it. Most accidents take place within 20 to 25 miles of your home. Why? Because you're used to it. You let your guard down. You've got a ho-hum attitude. I've been here, I've done that. I can drive this route with my eyes closed. Some of you have tried it. I have, I've I've tried it. Ended up in a guardrail, but I'm, I'm just saying. You can try it. But this is a dangerous attitude to have that we get used to it. We start taking it for granted, but it's even more dangerous in regarding spiritual matters. So when I think about Living Faith Church, we've been here 33 years. It's easy for us to take for granted what God has done, and it's easy for us to take for granted what God wants to do in this place. It's easy for us to develop a ho-hum attitude about church and really our spiritual walk in general. I've been saved for 40 years. I've been doing this for 40 years. This is how I've been doing it for 40 years. This is how I pray, how I read. This is how I worship. This is how I serve. Don't tell me to do anything else. I've been here 40 years. Don't challenge me. I should be telling you what to do. Maybe so. But here's the thing we get this ho-hum attitude. What happens? Then we start losing our excitement, we start losing our passion, we start going through the motions. I've been saved for so long. I've been this for so long. I've been serving in this ministry for so long. I've been attending this church for so long. I've been in this relationship for so long. We develop this ho-hum attitude, and we start losing our excitement. We start losing our passion. We might even start sliding towards sitting out. I just want to sit out. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm weary and well-doing. I'm weary. I've been doing all this good stuff while all these other people are sitting around. I'm weary and well-doing. Right? Nobody notices me. Nobody gave me a title. Nobody patted me on the back. Nobody's having an appreciation day for me. Right? We, we can spend the next year and we'll have a Bev appreciation day and an Amy appreciation day and we'll, we'll just have a day for everybody. <laughs> Somebody well, you need to tell me when mine is because I want to make sure I show up. Uh, uh, right? But as followers of Jesus, How many of you, we should never take for granted the calling that God has placed upon our lives? I don't care if you've been saved for three hours or if you've been saved for 30 years. We never take for granted the calling that God has placed upon our lives. How in the world can we take, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, how shall we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we neglect so great a salvation? How do we take for granted this glorious salvation that rescued us and gave us a purpose and gave us an identity? God is about new things. God's about new things. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God has planted his seed in your life, and that seed brings forth fruit to the glory of God that he might be lifted up in our lives because God is involved in new things. But it doesn't just stop at salvation. Every time we gather here, church, we have the opportunity engage with the supernatural we've got to stop looking at Sundays as just an ordinary day because it's not every time we gather together as people of faith if faith is present the miraculous can take place if faith is present if there is if there is hope in the sanctuary if there is passion and excitement for God and for his word there is a manifestation of the presence of God It's a mystery that we're even connected the way that God connects us. It is a supernatural thing that you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. So that means every time we gather in this building, it's a brand new opportunity to encounter the supernatural God that we serve. And every day that we walk with God, it's a new opportunity to serve, to pursue his presence, to grow in the knowledge of him. Every day of our life can be an explosion of his presence. A, 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 an experience with him that wasn't like yesterday, an experience with him that was deeper than the one you had the day before. Every day is an opportunity for a new encounter with God, which means if we are going to continue the great work that God has called us to do, we have to develop an attitude. Yeah. Amen. Some of you are like, well, I got no problem with that. At least my spouse doesn't. They developed an attitude a long time ago. But we got to develop an attitude. We've got to develop a mindset. We have to make the choice to say, I cannot come down. Amen. Here in Nehemiah chapter 6, the, the back story of this, really quickly, obviously, Nehemiah is the story of a large group of Jews that had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of the city. If you remember in, in the history of the Old Testament, there was the northern kingdom which made up 10 tribes of, of Israel. There was the southern kingdom that made up two tribes, which was Judah and Benjamin, but the southern kingdom was called Judah. Uh, The northern kingdom was taken into captivity by by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was taken into captivity by the Babylonians, which was prophesied by Jeremiah. And, And so they're taken into captivity. They're in captivity for about seven years. God raises up King Cyrus. King Cyrus decrees that the Jews can go back to their homeland. So Nehemiah is now serving the king Artaxerxes, and he, he's a cupbearer to the king. He goes to the king and, and, and inquires, or he inquires of his people back in the promised land. The information comes back to Nehemiah and says, they're not safe, they're not happy. The walls of Jerusalem have crumbled. There's nothing to protect them. There's nothing to keep them. So Nehemiah weeps and cries, goes to the king and says, can I go back and build the walls? And the king gives him the permission to take a group of folks back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, and so that's where we find ourselves here in Nehemiah chapter 6. It's the manifestation of that desire because the walls have now been rebuilt. But what we read in Nehemiah, and of course Ezra and Nehemiah kind of go together. Ezra was the scribe during this time who reads the law of God. You read about that later in Nehemiah as well as the book of Ezra but just like anything we ever do for God, let me, let me announce to you today, if you make any decision to do anything for God, if you make any decision to pursue the Lord in any way possible, if you decide one day, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to spend a little bit longer in prayer, I'm going to fellowship more with believers, I'm going to get involved in ministry, I going to help out in the children's church on Wednesday night. Right? Because you're gonna go home and pray about that today, right? Okay. You're gonna come and say, I want to help with children's church on Wednesday night. Anytime you make a decision to step out for God, let me warn you, you are going to face opposition. You are going to face opposition. I don't care what you do when you decide to obey, put another O with it. Obey in opposition. It's gonna happen. The people that don't obey, don't worry about opposition because the devil don't care. Right? But if you step out by faith, a lot of us think, well, if I get involved in ministry, it'll be a float to heaven. <laughs> if there's anything 33 years of ministry have taught us, is it's not floating to heaven, right? Okay, so there's going to be opposition. He runs into enemies. Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, Geshem, the Arab, the Ashdodites, they're, they're listed too. Ashdodites. They're not happy with the possibility of Jerusalem being rebuilt. And if you look over the chapters of Nehemiah, just real quickly, you see the opposition that they run into in chapter two. They first start with an accusation. They start with questioning their motives. They come to Nehemiah and say, are you rebelling against the king? Are you here building this wall because you're planning on uh, developing your own kingdom here and rebel against the king. For a matter of fact, they even said, we've heard that Nehemiah, you're wanting to make yourself king. So they come with these accusations. They come with questioning their motives. In chapter 4, they turn to mocking them. Now, look at these feeble Jews out here trying to build a wall. They even go and say, the wall's so weak that if a fox ran up on it, it'd fall down. So now they're making fun of them. They're mocking them, telling them that they can't do it. Then in chapter 4, they threaten to fight them. And sow confusion. We're going to go down and fight them and confuse them all and get them all stirred up. And then here in chapter 6, if you go on and read after this, they conspire to kill Nehemiah under the guise of having a meeting with him. So they, they use deception. So these enemies are trying different things from accusations to mocking them to fighting them to sowing confusion to... Deception, I don't know about you, but it sounds pretty familiar in my own life. Each time that Nehemiah is faced with opposition, he continues to do what he's called to do. Amen. Not one time do you see Nehemiah say, oh, well, I guess we better quit. Oh, I guess we better take a break, guys. Old Sanballet's mad. Old Belay, whatever his name is, he might be French, I don't know, Belay is all mad at me. We better not do anything else. I got them all stirred up. But here in chapter 6, it's almost like Nehemiah's had enough. Nehemiah's had enough. I am tired of looking at your face, Sanballat. I'm tired of hearing your mouth. I'm tired of hearing you run your mouth. And he says, they said, we want to meet with you, Nehemiah. They probably came along and said, all right, Nehemiah, you win. You're doing well. We want to meet with you so we can help. But Nehemiah has enough sense. He's got a little bit of discernment. He's got a little bit of discernment because he knew they knew they came to harm him. And so what does Nehemiah say? He sends it back and says, I cannot come down. I cannot come down. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. I'm not coming down to where you are. I am not going to allow opposition or accusation or mocking or deception to keep me from fulfilling my task. I will not come down to your level. I will not come down to where you are. I will not get off this wall. Here at Living Faith, I believe we've been called to do a great work. I believe we're doing a great work. I believe, you know, we may not be the biggest church in the valley, but I believe we've got one of the biggest hearts in the valley. This church is full of people that love God and love people and have a desire to make a difference in the world. And I want to see God do even more amazing things among us. And we could really easily get distracted by our own loss of passion and miss what new thing God wants to do here because ho-hum, I've been here 33 years. We could easily allow the opposition of the enemy to make us believe that we can't do what we have been called to do. But God started this thing, folks, and I believe we don't have to come down until God says we're done. Nobody has to tell me to quit. In our own spiritual lives, there is always going to be opposition when you decide to pursue Jesus. Look at these opposition. I promise you, you, if you go after Christ, there's going to be accusations. You're going to be accused. You're going to be told by the enemy you're not good enough. You're going to be told by the enemy you messed up way too many times. You're going to be told by the enemy I have combed through your past. I have been through your tweets and your Facebook posts. I have seen what you said, and I saw what you did, and you are not good enough. Well, welcome to the human race. There isn't, there's not a one of you in here good enough, but that's why the Bible calls the enemy the accuser of the brethren. He wants nothing more than to keep you trapped in your failures and in your mistakes and in your sins and in your mishaps. He wants to keep you down in your past so that you can't move forward in God. That is an opposition that the enemy is always going to throw at you. He's really good at it. He's going to mock you. He's going to tell you, you're not strong enough. You can't do this. What you're doing doesn't matter. What you're doing is not going to succeed. You're not worth anything. Have you heard that voice in the back of your mind? Have you heard that voice that says, you're not going to make it? You're not going to get through this. You're not going to be able to do it. What if you step out by faith and make a fool of yourself? Who hasn't done that? Who hasn't stepped out and tried something for God and didn't mess up at least once or twice? Nobody's got their hand up, so welcome, right? No, no, we don't, we understand that that faith takes risks. When you step out by faith, there's going to take risks. There's going to be times that when you step out by faith, you miss it. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. You did it wrong. You didn't do it the best way possible. But you know what? What God's looking at is a heart of obedience. And when the enemy comes along and tells you, you can't do this. You don't have enough talent. You're not giving. So what do you do? You sit back. You start sitting out. You grow weary in well-doing. Then he, he comes along and he brings conflict. The enemy will always stand against you. Every obstacle and every roadblock he can find, he is going to use against you. And then what he brings with that conflict is confusion. Because when the enemy attacks, when the enemy comes in and stands against you and throws up roadblocks, what happens? We start questioning God's goodness. We start questioning God's purpose. But God, I thought you called me to do this. I didn't realize I was going to run into a devil. Right? I'm not talking about the people that you're working with in ministry, right? Or the little ones on Wednesday night. Yeah, sure, the enemy can use people, but they're not the devil. All right? all right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? But here's the thing. We recognize that when the enemy brings conflict, when the enemy tries to bring a direct assault against us, many times it throws us back in confusion because we don't understand what's going on. We start questioning God's purpose, and we start questioning God's love and goodness towards us, and then it, all that confusion does is brings more accusation in. Well, you're in this place because of what you did. You're in this place because of your sin. You're in this place because of this. And because of that, you can't move forward. You're trapped in confusion. How else does he attack? He attacks by deception, which is really his number one weapon. Jesus says that the devil is not only the liar, he's a father. He's the father of lies. All lies originate from this ugly, demonic creation. He's a liar, and he will tell you anything it takes to get you to come down to where he is. Let me bring you down from the great work that you're doing. Let me pull you off that wall. Let me, let me accuse you and mock you and confuse you so that I can pull you down off that wall. I want you down here with me. I want you down here with me. But we have to make the decision in the face of the devil, in the face of every demon and, and, and imp of hell, we need to look at the enemy and say, I cannot. I cannot come down. I have made a decision that I am not coming off the wall that God has put me on. We have to make that decision. Because here's the thing church, if you want to get where God wants you to go, the first thing you've got to do here, today is October the 7th, it's 2018. I don't know how long you've been saved. I don't know how long you've been in this. I don't know how long you've been serving God. But today is a brand new day. Today is a day to make a decision to follow passionately and pursue Christ with everything that's in us. Today is the day to make a decision that I'm going to praise God and I'm going to worship God. And you've got to tell the enemy, I cannot come down from pursuing the Lord. I cannot come down from spending time in the Word. I cannot come down from developing a consistent prayer life. I will not and cannot come down from fellowshipping with other believers. I cannot come down from serving, or from worshiping, or from praising, or from pursuing God, or from giving, or from obedience, or from faithfulness. I cannot come down. Amen. I cannot come down to the level of a quitter. Amen. Do not be weary in well-doing, because why? You will reap in due season if you don't what? Quit. If you faint not, If you faint not, you will reap in due season. So you say, I cannot, I will not come down to the level of a quitter. I cannot come down to the level of going backwards. I'm not going back. I'm not going backwards. I'm not settling in. I'm not stopping. I will keep going. I cannot come down to unbelief. I'm not going to allow the enemy to bring me down to doubt and bring me down to unbelief and bring me down to a place where I'm questioning God's goodness and purpose. I have chosen to believe God. I cannot come down to relationships that distract me from pursuing God. I'm not going to hang out with folks that don't want to help build my faith. I'm not going to hang out with folks that are mocking me as I try to pursue God. I cannot come down to wallow in my past failures and mistakes. Because the enemy will be more than happy to pull you into what the King James Version calls the mire. He brought me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and I cannot come down not stepping in your mess, devil. I know it was a mess that I made, but I'm not stepping in your condemnation. I'm not stepping in your accusation. I'm not wallowing in self-pity. I cannot come down. I know I've made some mistakes. My wall might not even be plumb. It's still standing, though. You can huff and puff, but it's there. It may not look as good as the neighbor's. It might not be as nice as the person next door, but I can tell you this much. It's my wall, and I'm not coming down. Here I am. This is where I'm standing. I've made my claim. When Martin Luther had to stand before those who had accused him of attacking the Catholic Church, he said, this is what I believe. I can do no other. This is what we believe. I can't do anything else. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, you can throw us in prison. You can tell us to shut up, but we cannot help but speak what we have seen and what we have heard. Can't help myself. Cannot come down. Why? Because God's captured me. Why? Because God is for me. That's such a great revelation that we need to get in our spirits. God is for you, He's not against you. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isaiah chapter 40 tells me that He gives power to the faint, He increases our strength, that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. What do they do? They mount up like wings as eagles. They shall not grow weary, they shall not faint. The Bible says that he is able, now unto him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. Amen. Well, I'm telling you, folks, you're a winner. You were born to win. The Bible says whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. You were born to win yes, sir. in the kingdom of God. So where do we go from here? Forward forward. Yes, sir. What do we do now? We keep moving. We keep praying. We keep reading the word. We keep worshiping. We keep obeying. Why? Because we cannot come down. Amen. Amen. We cannot come down from the great work that God has called us to do. We can't allow ourselves to get weary in well-doing. See, here's another thing that the enemy does as he brings deception in our lives, is he tries to show us that the good that we're doing is still not good enough. Or that the good that we're doing is not really impacting people's lives. How many of you have ever had someone in your life, you've witnessed to them or you've shared your faith or you've just, you know, you've lived your faith out in front of them and up to that point they didn't seem to care what you did as a Christian. They may have even said, made comments about your Christianity. They may have even made fun of you. But then all of a sudden they go through a hard time in their life and where's the first person they come to? See, you don't know the goodness that you're doing. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. They may never come and pat you on the back, but your good works is glorify, are glorifying your Father which is in heaven. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't come down. Maybe nobody's noticing you, but that doesn't matter. You keep working. We cannot come down. So this mindset is manifested in how we live. There's two ways that this is manifested, and I will close. It's manifested first by a mind to work. Nehemiah told the enemies that this was a great work. And so why should I cease from doing work? Now, we know that we're saved by grace and not by the works that we do. It's not because you've done a bunch of works that God uh, saves you or puts you in heaven We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. As I've said many times before, saved by grace through faith, there is nothing else added to that sentence. If anybody says saved by grace through faith and they've already left the gospel, that is not the gospel. Saved by grace through faith. End of the story. But once we are saved and filled with the Spirit and walking after Christ, then we should be working. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, We built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Amen. Wow. How many of you work with some folks that don't have a mind to work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not even saying necessarily that they're stupid, or they're dumb, or they're not intelligent, although that could be. But... A mind to work just means that you show up with the attitude that I'm here to get it done. I'm here to get it done. What do you need me to do? Where can I work? What tool can I pick up? What can I help build? What can I help make happen? I got a mind to work. Because when you have a mind to work, you push through the opposition. See, if you don't have a mind to work, then when the opposition comes, you're much more easy To quit. Because if you show up, and like, well, I'm going to do some work. But as soon as it gets tiring, I'm quitting. All right, here's a shovel. Go shovel some dirt. (laughs) Oh, I'm done. Right? But when you've got a mind to work, you push through the opposition. I just need you to know, folks, it's worth it. It's worth it. What you're doing for the kingdom of God is worth it. And our obedience matters. It doesn't just matter in our own spiritual lives. Our obedience affects everyone around us. Our obedience affects this sanctuary, which also means so does our disobedience. Our faithfulness makes a difference. Our giving, our service is not just needed for the church. It's needed for our own life and for God's purpose to succeed in us. For God's purpose to succeed in us, we have to make a decision to work. We are His workmanship, the Bible says, created in Christ Jesus. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing good works to the glory of God. Amen. If we're going to serve the Lord, then we have to say work. If we're going to get involved in ministry, then you've got to say work. Okay, Ministry is work. Service is work. And work is tiring, and work requires energy, and work can can drain you, and work doesn't always get recognized, and work doesn't always feel like fun, but when you've got a mind to work. See, there's a lot of folks that the reason why they're in shape, and the reason why they can run marathons and and such things like that, is because, first of all, they're not eating donuts at 12 o'clock at midnight like I did last night while I was watching the UFC fight. I had a cream filled, chocolate covered donut. It was fantastic. Hallelujah. There are good things in earth. all right. But what do they do? They, yeah, they eat right, they exercise, but they've got a mind to push themselves to do what it takes to do. If we're going to have a mind to fulfill what God has called us to do, we've got to have a mind to work. But we also got to have a mind for war. Because make no mistake about it, pursuing Jesus is an act of war. When the Spirit draws you and you make, you make that decision, I'm not coming down, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to fellowship, I'm going to worship, I'm going to serve, I'm going to pursue Jesus. You just declared war on the devil. The enemy of our souls does not want us to continue in the great work that God's called us to do. The enemy doesn't want us praying or reading or worshiping or serving or fellowshipping. Why? Because these are acts of war. Look at the passage here in Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, because the Lord's revealing things to Nehemiah, and that God had frustrated their plan. Aren't you grateful that you've got a God that frustrates the enemy's plan in your life? Because this is when they were coming to fight them. Nehemiah didn't even have to fight them. God just frustrated them. We all return to the wall each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. The wall is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. What I think is really interesting is that one phrase in there. It says they had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. So they're pounding a nail with one hand and slicing off demons with the other. When When you decide to serve the Lord, this is the attitude we've got to take. Give me a tool in one hand and give me a weapon in the other. Because once you make the mindset to work, you've made a mindset to war. Once you've made a mindset to to pursue God and do what God has called you to do and accomplish the great work that God has called you to accomplish, then devils are going to rise up. Opposition is going to come. So you better have a tool in one hand and you better have a weapon in the other because you've got to be prepared for work and you've got to be prepared for war. Why? Because this is about eternal matters. And the seriousness of it should always be a reality to us. Sundays are serious business. I'm all about having fun, I'm all about uh, worshiping and, and celebrating, that's what we're here to do, but we recognize that what we are here for is serious, this is serious business, we're talking about eternity here. So as we talk about 33 years of the church, I want you to look at it in light of your own life. I don't, I don't know how, you know, we've been here for 33 years, I've seen the sanctuary, I know what it looks like. It's not like I come on Sunday morning, and I'm like, oh, wow, have you seen that ceiling? It's been there for 33 years, right? Have you seen seen that? I've I've seen it. I know what it looks like. I even know the smell of it. Don't you you know the smell of it? I'm not talking about the people beside you. Don't point at anyone. (laughs) I know the smell of it. You're used to it. You've been here. You know what it looks like. I want you to see that challenge in your life. How long have you been serving God? Do you find yourself stuck? Do you find yourself in a place where you're just watching? Do you find yourself in cruise control? Do you find yourself just gliding along? Because what 33 years shows us is that God's faithful. God's faithful. God's good. When God starts something, He stays with it. Now, His call for us is faithful obedience. God is faithful, and His call to us is to be faithfully obedient to what He says. He has blessed this church for 33 years. I believe he'll bless this church for another 33 if we're still here. But we must not grow weary in well-doing. We must not take for granted the beauty of God's calling. So in our own spiritual lives, folk, now is not the time to draw back. Now is not the time to become a spectator. Now is not the time to slip into a ho-hum attitude. No matter how long you've been at this, our pursuit of Jesus should stay white hot. White hot. We need to decide that we are not going to come down from the great work of following Jesus. We are not going to come down to the level of the enemy and we're not going to grow weary in well doing. We have made a decision to have a mindset to work and a mindset for war. Amen. And so, what that means, whatever we've got to do, I'm going to get in the trenches and I'm going to be, not, I'm going to be ready not only to build, but I'm going to be ready to fight. I'm going to be ready to build what God calls us to build, to build you up, to encourage you, but I'm also going to be ready to fight and speak against the enemy. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus that makes darkness tremble, and I'm going to see his kingdom work done. So welcome to work, and welcome to war.